You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Good morning. Uh, Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10. I think I'm on. There we go. Did you notice how how, how much in, in just the worship set this morning we sang the gospel? We sang of the substitutionary death of Jesus. Uh, It's super important to us um, that we sing songs of theological significance uh, to proclaim together the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the only one who's here today to proclaim truth. Hopefully we're all here today together to lift our voices to proclaim truth, uh, the truth of the gospel, the fact that Christ died in our place. That last song... um, we, we don't do songs here just because they happen to be my favorite, but that's one of my favorites. Um, it's a song that, one of the alternate titles of that song is anastasis. It's a, it's a word that means rebirth. In the Latin, it was like to actually recover from a debilitating condition. Like, <laughs> I don't know that a, a definition could be more understated than what we're talking about in that song with the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, man, it's so, so good. Um, I want to echo what Griff said earlier and stress the importance of tonight, our prayer time at 515, followed by our quarterly members meeting. Uh, we will uh, be approving a proposed budget from your budget and finance team who deserves a huge uh, thank you. Uh, you. You may not know who all those people are, but th- this year's budget uh, going into 2024 has been incredibly difficult, as you can imagine, with taking on a new building and all of that kind of stuff. And so... Um, There's just a lot, and so I hope that you'll be here and be a part of that tonight, that you'll continue to be faithful in your giving. Uh, I mentioned, I think, last week that we were circling January the 21st as our first Sunday in the new space. Uh, That means we got 10 Sundays from today, y'all, okay? So um, those of you ladies uh, who I hope are planning to go to the women's retreat, uh, that would mean that the first Sunday in December will be your last Sunday in this space, and so... um, That's something that you have to look forward to. Uh, Now, uh, there's still a lot to be done, okay? A lot to be done. And uh, God is so faithful. Uh, I was looking at a video Christy showed me, reminded me of a memory um, uh, from a couple of years ago when we shot a Sunday morning video uh, for Sunday morning over at the property talking about this being the future home, the time is now, and all that stuff. And here we are just weeks away from moving into that new space, new facility, and so... Uh, Be in prayer for that. Look forward to that. It's going to be a great time. Uh, But this morning, we're in John chapter 10, and so let's go there together. Uh, We've been in John's gospel now for a number of weeks, almost a year. We started uh, our walk through John's gospel last December. Uh, We paused a bit in the summer for a summer in the Psalms and returned to John's gospel Uh, We will very likely take a brief break for the Christmas season uh, and do a Christmas series this year, and then we'll jump back into John's gospel at some point. Uh, But uh, there is so much here, and I hope that you recognize what we find in John's gospel. Uh, Remember that very first message almost a year ago now. Uh, John tells us in this 20th chapter of his writing here that the purpose for his writing is so that we may believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, so that you may believe. Uh, It's all about belief. Not just a mental ascent, not just looking at Jesus as a historical figure, 
but as the very Lamb of God. And this morning, uh, we see more shepherding language. If you're familiar with John's gospel at all, you know that John chapter 10 is where Jesus says here, I am uh, the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. He says, I am the door. Uh, That's where we're going to be today. Now, sheep and goats have many differences from the diet that they eat to the diseases that commonly affect them. But one difference that is clear if you spent much time around sheep and goats is that sheep are stupid and goats are stubborn, okay? Uh, Now, if you've ever really thought that you were something, okay, and you kind of got puffed up with pride in yourself, think about the fact that we're often referred to in Scripture as sheep, okay? And that should humble you just a little bit because they are some of the dumbest animals on planet Earth. Um, but a goat, you know, can be very clever, especially when they're trying to get to food. But goats are also harder to lead than sheep. Uh, they're more adventurous. They're more curious by nature. Sheep, by contrast, are much easier to lead, especially if they think that you're leading them to food, okay? Um, they're not nearly as stubborn, but they are just really dumb. Uh, and so a goat, for example, will, will generally clear the road when a car is coming. A sheep will just stand there and look at it, okay? And so uh, now when Christy and I went to Israel several years ago, it became really obvious that shepherding in the Middle East is fundamentally different from shepherding here in the West. Um, in the Western world, uh, shepherds most commonly drive their sheep. They drive their sheep ahead of them. They use dogs a lot of times to, to keep sheep from wandering from the intended pasture or the path. In the Middle East, from ancient times even until today, shepherds will more often lead their sheep, train them to follow the sound of their voice, and will more often lead them from the front with the sheep following. So the shepherd goes first, walking the path, clearing the way of any danger that may lie ahead. The sheep learn to watch the shepherd and follow his voice. And that's the image that we see here in John chapter 10. So shepherding uh, was such a common way of life in the ancient world that stories and illustrations drawn from the world of shepherding are very common in the Bible and in other ancient literature, in fact. And I think one of the reasons uh, that a lot of modern-day Americans, modern Western world-type people, fail to really understand the beauty of Scripture is because we fail to study it in its cultural context. Um, in fact, I would encourage you to pick up a book written by Robbie Gallaty called The Forgotten Jesus. And it talks a lot about the Jewishness of Jesus and having a better understanding of just the cultural context in which uh, Scripture is written. And, and so we've got to always consider that. And so we'll do that some this morning. And so it, it's very common in Scripture and in ancient literature to see agrarian-type language. Look at that field. It's white unto harvest. The sheep, the goat, all that type of language. Very common in that day. And I like to think if Jesus were physically on the earth with us today, he would do much the same thing. It wasn't too long ago that I was sitting in a busy airport terminal, and I just imagined, what, what would my conversation sound like if Jesus were sitting next to me? And I've got a feeling that he would have looked at all those people bustling around and hurrying to their, all those, their gate and all that kind of make, trying to make their connections, and he might have said, you know, all these people have a destination, but where do you think they're going to spend eternity? <laughs> I, I mean, it would have driven home a point for me, Right? It was something that I think I could have pretty easily understood in that moment. I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. And so that's what Jesus would often do in his teaching. He would look at very common things that they could quickly connect with and understand. It was a way of life for them. 
you know, in that day, uh, unlike our day, they didn't assume that their food and everything came from the grocery store, right? Okay, so they, they knew this language. And so in Scripture, the lessons are varied depending on the author. It's not uncommon to see a David, who was a shepherd boy, right, writing of such things. Uh, of shepherd life and so forth. And so what we find here in John chapter 10 is one of the most famous, most helpful, encouraging teachings in Scripture dealing with the theme of shepherding. And here Jesus actually uh, sets up this contrast between himself uh, as the good shepherd with the thieves and robbers who steal and abuse sheep. So we can learn so much about Jesus' love for his own, his relationship with those he calls to follow him, what it means to to follow Jesus, what dangers uh, people uh, face, the people of God in the world in which we live, and how we are kept and cared for so well by the good shepherd. And so let's look at the first 10 verses together here in John chapter 10 today. I hope that you'll follow along as I read. If you don't have a copy of God's word, you'll find it uh, there on the screen. And I want to remind you that whenever we see words repeated in Scripture, uh, that usually carries some great significance because that's the way that they expressed superlatives. Okay, today we might say good, better, and best. Uh, in, in the language of that day, it would be a repeated word. So whenever you see truly, truly, uh, or in the old King James, verily, verily, that's a way of saying this is mega truth. Okay, this is mega truth. So pay close attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then John gives us this little parenthetical statement to help clarify what's happening here in the narrative. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, here comes some mega truth, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so just a quick glance at these these 10 verses tells us pretty quickly that there's a lot of shepherding language here, a lot of uh, agrarian language that would be very common in that day. Uh, Not so much in our day. Let's talk about the sheepfold for a moment. The sheepfold. Jesus begins by talking about the sheepfold. And it's helpful for us to understand this passage to know that the sheepfold that Jesus has in mind in the first four verses is very likely different from the kind of sheepfold that he has in mind in verses 7 through 9. Okay, so in the ancient world, uh, the sheep pen of the pasture was different from the sheepfold in town. Okay, and so in the pasture, generally each shepherd uh, would watch out for his own sheep and would keep them in their own pen. 
Okay, it would be a fairly simple thing uh, that they had uh, constructed. It would maybe be kind of uh, in, in sort of a cave-type setup sometimes, and they would form some kind of a barrier or fence around it, that kind of thing. But they would generally watch their own flock in that particular pen. But in towns, larger sheepfolds actually held the sheep of several different flocks. So think of like a sheep parking lot. Okay, if you were going to be in town, then you might keep your sheep in a larger uh, pen or enclosure with other shepherds' flocks, with their sheep. And so uh, you can just imagine what that might look like. And so these sheepfolds were guarded by gatekeepers. We see that language here uh, in John 10. And it would typically be surrounded by higher walls designed to keep out thieves. And so let's think about these thieves and robbers for a moment. It was in these larger in-town sheepfolds that Jesus most likely has in mind here in these opening few verses. These large sheepfolds made attractive targets for thieves and robbers who would try to sneak in over the wall and steal sheep. So these two groups of criminals, they were known for, their, uh, for being sneaky naturally on the one hand and also for their violence on the other. Uh, thieves were, were experts in stealth uh, and, and, and deception. Robbers were, were known to be more violent. Uh, and so given the context of the healing of the man born blind in John chapter 9, if you were here over the last few weeks, and, and, and his expulsion from the, from the synagogue, remember we looked at that last week, I don't think it's too difficult for us to figure out who Jesus has in mind here when he speaks of these thieves and robbers. The religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, were not interested in the welfare of the sheep. Now, they were much more focused on what they could get from the sheep, usually wealth or power. And for that reason, the religious leaders of Jesus' day saw him as a threat to their positions of power and influence. They were threatened by Jesus, and so they were willing then to expel anyone who followed him. That's why we saw the man born blind, whom Jesus healed and later saved, expelled from the synagogue because they thought anybody who follows this Jesus and becomes a person of the way, as it would have been known in that time, uh, would be a threat. And so they were not truly God-authorized leaders of integrity. And and, and so still today... This is not just something of the ancient world. This is still true today. The sheepfold of God's church, as it were, is plagued today with leaders who seek their own good more than the good of the sheep. Some promise health and wealth. When their own wealth is their primary concern, they know that they can get people to give more money by promising an abundant return. And so they manipulate and they scheme to deceive and to get rich just like thieves Others may be more focused on power or pleasure than on wealth, like robbers who abuse the sheep, sometimes with with anger and and control and toxic leadership, and at other times, even, uh, we we, we hear this all too often today, sexual abuse and exploitation within the church and those sorts of things. These leaders may call themselves shepherds, but Jesus calls them here what they are, thieves and robbers. So this is strong language. Then he talks about the shepherd. The shepherd. The shepherd is the one who enters by the proper gate, is is admitted by the gatekeeper, it says here, because he is authorized to lead the sheep out to pasture. Jesus is obviously the shepherd here. 
He's known as the good shepherd in Scripture. And the door, I believe, through which he enters is the Scriptures. The coming of Jesus to his sheep is framed by Scripture itself, just as the entryway of the sheepfold frames the entrance of the rightful shepherd. And so today, the faithful under-shepherd is what, what sometimes us pastors are referred to. We're under-shepherds who serve under the good shepherd, the great shepherd. We approach the sheep through the Scriptures, not, not our own opinions, Scripture is the right and lawful entryway. That's why we are committed here at First Baptist Church to biblically-based preaching. When you come here each week, you should sit down expecting to hear a message from God's Word. Okay, the first time I get up here and say, okay, guys, we're going to keep our Bible shut today while you listen to Mike talk about 10 tips for successful living. That's the moment you should know something's not right. Okay, maybe my blood sugar's out of control or something. Because that, that's not what you're going to hear here, okay? I, I can talk to you all day long about my opinion on certain things, but my task in this hour is to open the very word of God with you. That's what we're to do. That's what a faithful under-shepherd does. And so what about the gatekeeper? The gatekeeper here, I believe, is probably a reference to the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can make that connection. He is the one who prepares the hearts of the sheep, who admits the rightful shepherd. We see the door, the gatekeeper working together just as the Word and the Spirit work together. And so the Spirit speaks through the Word. The Word is made effective by the Spirit. And so the shepherd enters by the door... But the door is opened by the gatekeeper here. We see that. So one of the most dangerous trends in church today is this separation of the word and the spirit. And, and as human beings, we, we are given to extremes many times. You know how many times over the course of ministry I've thought to myself, man, if we could just find the balance, the correct balance here. We tend to always get so skewed in our thinking. We go to one extreme or the other. And so uh, some people prefer the spirit without the word, which then leads to emotionalism, subjectivism. That's dangerous, right? It's just all about like getting in our feels every time and having an emotional experience when we gather. But it's also dangerous to have an, a, an emphasis on, on the word without the spirit, which can lead to a cold intellectualism, uh, just, just an academic approach to Scripture. That's not good either. So this is God's Word, which God, the Holy Spirit, uses to instruct and to convict and change us. And on a very practical level, one way to keep the Word of God and the Spirit together is to keep time in the Word and time in prayer connected, united we need to pray for God's spirit to teach us his word, praying for illumination, praying for conviction when we read the word. And we need to allow the word to prompt and to shape our prayer lives. That's why one of the models that we follow here is scripture-guided prayer. It's so important to us, seeking to pray according to the word of God. There's even a resource that we could give you out here in the foyer that would speak to that very subject of how do you pray the word? So important. All right, let's look number two at the sheep of God. The sheep of God. So the shepherd comes through the door, admitted by the gatekeeper for a specific purpose, to lead his sheep. Listen to the text again. It says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
a, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So we see this language of being called by name and led by the shepherd. I love this picture. It's so comforting to me. To think that the all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-powerful God of the universe knows me. He knows me. You can be in a crowd of people, even the, the size of, of this room right here, and you can kind of feel like you're not well-known, right? I mean, it, it, that's, just, that's just, human beings have only so much capacity uh, to, to interact on a, on a deep, intimate level with, with a certain number of people. But the fact that the God of the universe knows Mike Lovely, he knows me, that's, that's powerful. And so we see that, that type of language here of the shepherd with his sheep. Now, in the ancient world, only the gatekeeper opened the gate to the shepherd. The shepherd would stand and call. Now, get this picture in your mind. Each shepherd had a unique voice, a unique way of calling his sheep. And the sheep who belonged to that shepherd, now think the, the sheep parking lot, again, remember? You've got sheep in this large enclosure, some belonging to this shepherd, some belonging to that shepherd. Some belonging, and so the shepherd would step forward, call his sheep, and his sheep would hear his voice, recognize his unique call for them, and would follow their shepherd uh, out of that, uh, of that pen. That's, that's the idea that we see here. And so they would follow the voice of their shepherd. So here Jesus says he comes and calls his own by name. His call very personal, very individual, very loving. And in the immediate context of John chapter 10, Jesus is calling his own out of self-righteous religion to follow him. Okay, now think, think of the man born blind again. He didn't know that he was one of Jesus' sheep, but he was. And because he was one of Jesus' sheep, Jesus sought him and healed him and sought him and saved him, as we saw last week. Jesus knew him personally well before he knew Jesus. And Jesus sought him and saved him. And we can see the same pattern with the calling of his disciples. Many people gathered around Jesus in large crowds. You see that throughout, throughout the gospel accounts. But he called his disciples to follow him personally, calling them by name, leading them. Matthew, tax collector, follow me. Peter, fisherman, lay down your nets and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, think about the personal nature of that calling. So, in fact, he, he says in John's, later in John's gospel, we'll see this, he'll tell his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you, that you should go and bear fruit. Now, how are the sheep of Jesus distinguished? How are they known? They are the ones who follow his voice, who respond to his call. But then notice this language of they will not follow a stranger. What's this all about? More specifically, according to Jesus, his sheep will not follow a stranger. The text says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So I think strange doctrines, strange teachers, false religions, pretend messiahs, the world is full of these and always has been. What keeps the sheep of Jesus from following these? 
I believe it's the Holy Spirit who calls us through the word, keeps us in the word. The sheep of Jesus learn to love and listen to his voice as the Spirit speaks through his word. And those who come uh, not speaking his word or manipulating his word uh, with with false, strange doctrine, strange teachings, it should sound strange to the ears of the sheep. Those of you who've been a believer for a period of time, I would guess that, that you've had more than a few times where maybe you're driving down the road and you're listening to the radio and, and maybe you're hearing some teaching on the radio or maybe you're exposed to something through media or social media and stuff. There should be a sensitivity within you, which is the Holy Spirit indwelling us, that when you hear certain things, you should just go, eh, I don't think so. That doesn't sound quite right. And if you're not sure, hopefully you are driven by the Holy Spirit to the word. Check it with the word. Be like the Bereans who said, hey, we're going to search the scriptures to see that these things are true. And I would challenge you to do that of my teaching as well. Don't just come in here and, and, and be content to just be spoon-fed. Well, Brother Mike said it. so it might. If you're unsure, go, go to the word. Go to the word. Uh, don't follow a strange, don't follow these strange teachings, these things that, you know, um, it, it's unbelievable to me. When you study the history of cults, for example, I'm always intrigued by these um, documentaries that they do, like David Koresh and the Branch Davidians and some of those stories. To the, now, some of us live that, but we're at a stage of life. I was too busy to pay attention to all that was going on there. I'm just like, there are really people who would follow this guy the whole time he's telling them, I am a modern-day Jesus, and you should give your wives to me. I'm thinking, it wouldn't take me long to go, no, you're crazy. You're crazy. (laughs) Something's not right about this. And I know some of us don't have the most musical ear. Okay, but but if if you've got pretty decent pitch, you can hear when it's not right. You can hear the discord, right? That's what it should be like as a follower of Jesus and someone who's in the word regularly. You should be able to hear certain things and go, I don't think that checks with Scripture. I don't think that's quite right. There's a, there's a check in my spirit. Okay, will not follow a stranger. They will not follow these strangers. The audience around Jesus in John chapter 10, they show themselves here to not be his sheep. Verse 6 indicates the, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus continues to teach them which I think is significant because perhaps some are his sheep, but they just haven't learned to hear his voice yet. It's an important uh, point of nuance here I think we should consider. Just because someone doesn't immediately respond to the voice of Jesus doesn't mean that they're not his sheep. Sometimes, like the man born blind that Jesus healed, they, they need repeat encounters with Jesus to learn to hear his voice. So Jesus keeps teaching. And that's, for some of you, that's your personal testimony. Maybe, maybe you first heard the gospel as a, a junior high student or a high school student, and you were like, well, that sounds interesting enough, but I just don't know. And then it was maybe, maybe sometime later that, that you encountered the gospel again, maybe in a different context or phase of life, and you were more sensitive to maybe what God was saying to you through his word. And then further down, down the road, here's another point to which you, you, you looked at it and you saw it in a completely different light. Like, man... And you sense this this tug, this pull by the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. 
Don't follow strange voices, the voice of strangers he's talking about here. Now let's talk about the door of the sheep because the language changes a bit here in the last part of this text. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, here comes some more mega truth, truly, truly, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus keeps teaching because they didn't understand him. That's what the little word so uh, indicates in, in our English translations. So Jesus sees they don't understand and he keeps teaching. Calling out sheep apparently requires patience and persistence, right? Okay, so let's talk about the pen in the pasture. Remember, I think Jesus has something a little different in mind here. So the setting for Jesus' analogy has shifted from this, uh, for this next part of his teaching. From the setting of the town sheep pen, uh, where now the sheep pen is found in the pasture. A little different, d- different setup, different context. So here, again, each shepherd keeps his own sheep in his own pen. In town, the gatekeeper, a hired individual working for all of the shepherds, you might say. In the field, it was not uncommon for the shepherds to literally lay across the entry of the sheep pen, keeping the sheep in and the predators out with their own bodies. So the shepherd is the door. See, if you're inclined to read this and you're like, wait a minute, Jesus is the shepherd, but then, wait, wait, now Jesus is now the door. Which is it? It's like, yes, it's both, okay? He is the shepherd, and the shepherd is the door. The food is found in the pasture. Security is found in the pen. And the shepherd himself is the key to accessing both. Jesus says, I am the door twice. This is one of his seven I am statements in John's gospel. I am the door. A door grants easy access to those who belong, but it also provides security against those who do not belong. And one of the features of our new building is a pretty advanced, limited, controlled access system. Okay? We're going to open a preschool, right, at the same time as we occupy that building. It becomes critically important to us to make sure uh, that the kids that are in our care are properly cared for. Okay, and so we want to control the access. We want it to be an an open door for those who need to be in that space, but we want it to be a closed door for those who do not need to be in that space. Okay, and so there will be security measures in place and technology used uh, in order to accomplish that. And so again, this door grants easy access to those who belong, security against those who do not belong. It allows the right ones in, keeps the wrong ones out. It offers both access and security. And the body of Jesus Christ is both our access and our security. You think about this. He himself Our good shepherd is also our door. By him, we come into the field of God, as it were. And by his sacrifice, we enjoy access to security and to pasture. Now, A.W. Pink notes seven things that are contained in this short, simple statement of Jesus in verse 9. Where he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So what do we see here? Well, the door. Christ is the only way to God. 
Remember, Jesus says later in John's gospel here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the access point. There is no secret passageway of self-righteousness or good behavior or religious achievement. I am the way, the only way, the door. By me, Christ is the imparter of power to enter. Anyone, Christ is the savior of Jew and Gentile alike, enters. Christ is, the appropriate, is, is appropriated by a single act of faith, like the act of entering by a door. He will be saved. Christ is the deliverer from the penalty and the power and ultimately from the presence of sin itself. He will go in and out. Christ is the emancipator of all, from all bondage and find pasture. Christ is the sustainer of his people. But what about the thief versus the shepherd? The thief versus the shepherd. Because Jesus highlights the difference between his coming and the thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, he says. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the identity of the thief here has been heavily debated, I can assure you. Uh, Some see a reference to the Antichrist, specifically to the end-time world uh, leader Antichrist, while others see a general reference to the spirit of Antichrist. Others have seen a reference to Satan and his influence in the world. My personal belief is that this is a, a, a reference to the singular activity of Satan, seen in many manifestations throughout the ages. Okay, so Jesus is, I I think he's singularizing the power behind the thieves and the robbers here that he referenced earlier. The thieves and the robbers who come to steal and abuse are all agents of the thief. The thief, the head thief, we might say, who comes to steal and kill and to destroy. And know this, the world and its leaders make many false promises. They promise peace and prosperity and security and abundance, but they never deliver on their promises. Now, we're ending a critical season in this country, right? It's political season. You're going to start seeing more and more, right? There are already debates and all these things, all these talking heads and all these different politicians stepping forward and making promises and all those sorts of things. it, It can be your favorite politician. I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what they promise. As good as it may sound, it will not ultimately bring you abundant life. Would I like a better economy? Absolutely. Would I like lower interest? Absolutely. There are a lot of things that I would love to see as an American citizen, right? Okay, but none of those things will bring us ultimate satisfaction, will bring us ultimate abundant life. In fact, D.A. Carson's commentary on John's gospel puts it really well. He says this, the world still seeks its humanistic political saviors, its Hitlers, its Stalins, its dynamic politicians, and only too late does it learn that they blatantly confiscate personal property, they come to steal, ruthlessly trample human life, they come only to kill, and contemptuously savage all that is valuable, only to destroy. And then he quotes Roy Clements, who says this, this is is powerful, Jesus is right, It's not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is the myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. 
Whenever people promise a perfect life here in the fallen and cursed world, they are speaking with the forked tongue of the thief, promising with their words what they take with their actions. This is true of political leaders as well as religious leaders. Jesus alone comes to truly give us life and life that is abundant. What is abundant life? Can it be found in more money, more possessions, more power? No. That that, that is the calculus of the thief. Life is not found in lifeless things. True and abundant life is found in being forgiven and loved and known and adopted and being given the truth which sets us free from deception, from the snare of lies and empty promises. We go in and out and find pasture when we find true life in Jesus Christ. He becomes for us our forgiveness of sins, our peace with God, the very truth of God, our way to God, our righteousness and our security, our shield and defender from the enemy and the nourishment and sustenance of our souls. Jesus is coming, brings us abundant life because Jesus is abundant life. So when we gather here every Lord's Day and we celebrate the hope that we have as followers of Jesus, it's not a thing that we celebrate. It's a person. It's a person, a living Savior. That's why it's so powerful when we sing of the resurrection together. That's not just something we celebrate on Easter Sunday. That's something that we celebrate every Lord's Day when we gather here. We celebrate a risen Savior. So my question to you is very simple today as we wrap this up. Are you his sheep? Have you heard his call? Are you his Have you heard his voice in the word? Do you know the deep, full, and free forgiveness of sin that he purchased by his death? Do you know the free and open access to God that he has secured for us in himself? He is the good shepherd who is the door. If you are his and you've entered through his door, then hear the call of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 today. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies purified with pure water. Let us hold fast, cling to Put the death grip on the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's awesome. Let us draw near, entering God's presence through the door. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Keep believing that abundant life is found in him alone. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. He gives us to each other when he brings us into the same sheep pen together. To do life together, not neglecting to meet together. We need to gather, be committed to our gathering as his sheep and encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Remembering this, 
each day, each day brings us closer to the day, the day of full restoration. For just a moment, let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. got a pretty good idea that there are not many people in the room today who are not familiar with the opening words of the 23rd Psalm. There's probably a good chance that you've memorized it, recited it with a group of people. You've heard it quoted, maybe at a funeral service, a worship service. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you truthfully say that today? That the Lord is your shepherd? Have you taken that step of faith? You've heard the call by the Holy Spirit and through his word. If you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, that's what it's all about. When I ask you today, are you his sheep? I'm not asking you if you're a member of First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. I'm not asking about how many good things you've done. In fact, I'm not really asking about who you are as much as I'm asking whose you are. He is the shepherd and we're the sheep of his pasture. If you're here today and you're uncertain about your relationship with God, I would love to show you from the word of God. We have others who would love to show you today from God's word how you can be in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not based upon anything you've done or ever could do. It's solely upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. The substitutionary death of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we can say today, The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that you're with us because your rod and your staff, they comfort us. If there's anyone here today who is uncertain, of their relationship with you. I pray that by your Holy Spirit today, the power of your word, they would be drawn to you. Now we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.